you guys just a second to get on. If you're getting on live, this is going to be recorded and put up. We don't have a good way to get our recordings up other than just to use the live uh, webcast right now because we're still in transition um, back in Missouri now. We're out here at a cemetery today. I like coming to cemeteries. You can see some gravestones behind me uh, back in the ground here. There's some slabs with people's names on them. I like to read the names and the dates and the inscriptions. Um, I like to think about the people that once lived and maybe what their lives were like. And the biggest question that always crosses my mind in a cemetery, in a graveyard, is the question of where they're at right now. Where did their soul go? Because we know from the Bible that whenever a man's body dies and is laid in the ground, that his soul, his never-dying soul, goes to one of two places, either to heaven or to hell. There's no in-between. The Bible has no purgatory in it. There's no such thing as purgatory. Listen up. You listen today. I want you to listen. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's no middle ground. When a man dies, his body goes in the ground. But when his body goes in the ground, his soul goes to either heaven or hell. Jesus said the rich man died, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. The Bible says that to be absent from the body for a Christian is to be present with the Lord. So as I look at all these gravestones, I think about all the people that lived and died, and their families that mourned them and laid them in the grave. We realize that there's nothing but dust here. And this represents the last resting place of the body of a man, of a woman, of a child who's been, who has gone on to an eternity. An eternity that can never be altered. An eternity that is sealed and set more sure than in stone because it's sealed in heaven. An eternity either in heaven or in hell. We're in Colossians chapter 3. It says here in verse 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. We've been looking at these exhortations here where it says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth lie not one to another seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds now we're not going to get into the old man the new man yet lord willing we'll get there when we hit verse 9 and verse 10 it's a very profitable study you need to understand the old man and the new man in the bible but right now we're going to focus in on the children of disobedience we've talked about the wrath of god on the podcast we've talked about these <coughs> these other sins that we're to mortify our members, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And I'd encourage you to look those up. Our podcast on that is just an acronym. I didn't have a good name for it. Um, F-U-I-A-E-C-C and I. It's just a long acronym, just a bunch of letters and uh, periods. And I just encourage you to look that up and understand what the Bible says about sin. If you don't understand sin, you can't understand your need for a Savior. Today we're going to look at this idea of the children of disobedience. Now this is carried over in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 talks about the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The children of disobedience. And Romans 10 gives us more insight into this um, idea of obedience. We've, we live in a day and age where the gospel is a take it or leave it, come as you are, go like you came 
pick up your fire insurance at the church for the price of a small tither offering, say a little prayer, get dunked in some water, you're good to go. And you move on from there. But the Bible talks about children of disobedience. It talks about obedience to the gospel. Romans 10 and verse 16 says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. They have not all obeyed the gospel. The gospel has demands. The gospel actually make, makes demands. We see all the time people talk about the free gift of salvation and nothing could be more true than the fact that salvation is free. It's a free gift. It's freely offered. But what's often left out is the reality that the gospel makes demands. The gospel must be obeyed. The gospel is a commandment. And we're going to look at that today. And we're going to see why God calls the general population children of disobedience. Because they have not all obeyed the gospel. Here in Romans 10, it talks about the word of faith that we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, in Jesus' name, please open our understanding today. I pray for everyone that watches this or listens to the audio, Lord, and everyone that's here today with us right now. Lord God, just my little family today, but I pray, Lord God, that you would just touch us, that you'd help us to understand the gospel, that you'd give us obedient hearts to the gospel and the demands of the gospel, and help us to be sure, Father, that we are right with you and that when we die, we'll spend an eternity in heaven and not in hell. We thank you, Father, for this sobering place, this cemetery, this graveyard, Father, where we can see the monuments of the remains of the dead, Father, and a sobering place to think about eternity. And we thank you for this opportunity. We pray that you'd burn it in our hearts, Lord, and never let us forget it. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Now, here in Romans 10, some of the most famous verses on salvation are right here in Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Very often this is preached with absolutely no context of the demands of the gospel. Very often in our country, we have bypassed all the rest of Scripture regarding salvation. And we'll give a cheap five-minute salvation, and this will be the entirety of it. And through these verses that say to confess with your mouth, we'll instruct sinners to come forward and to pray a prayer. And we'll do something like this. We'll say, do you want to go to hell? And they'll say, no. Do you want to go to heaven? Yes, I do. Then all you've got to do is receive the free gift of salvation. And to do that, you just need to admit that you're a sinner. Have you ever sinned? Well, yes, I have. Well, if you know that you're a sinner, then you just tell God you're a sinner. Say, Lord, and just pray this prayer. You can pray right after me. Say, Dear Jesus. They say, Dear Jesus. I've sinned. I've sinned. I, de I deserve hell. Maybe if we're really serious, we'll tell them to say, I deserve hell. And they say, I deserve hell. And we'll say, But I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And then he was buried and rose again. And I need Jesus to save me. Please save me, Lord, in Jesus' name. And they, they repeat that prayer after, after us. And we say, Amen. They say, Amen. And we slap them on the back and say, Now you need to grow in Christ. And they say, Well, that's great, but I don't, I don't really feel any different. We tell them, Once you're saved, you're always saved. And we go on and read Romans chapter 8, which, by the way, did you notice that comes before Romans 10? Always be wary of doctrinal teaching that takes Scripture out of context. We should teach the Scripture in the order that it's preached in. 
Now you can go for application to other verses, but what we do is we take them to Romans 10 and then back to Romans 8 for assurance. Romans 5 tells you more about salvation than Romans 10. Without the context of Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 5, a man that just confesses some arbitrary Jesus without any understanding of who he is or the demands of the gospel, he's not confessing the Lord Jesus Christ and he's not believing him in his heart. And you can have them pray the prayer till you're blue in the face, but if they haven't fulfilled the demands of the gospel that we're going to look at here in a moment, that prayer is empty, it's shallow shallower than one of these graves and many people maybe people here in this very cemetery have prayed a prayer they've been slapped on the back they've been dunked in the water they've been enrolled in the church rolls but they have never believed on the lord jesus christ they've never been obedient to the gospel they've never submitted themselves to the demands of the gospel and some of these very people here when they died and their bodies were laid in the grave i don't know them so i can't tell you which ones went to heaven and which ones went to hell but some of the people here in this very graveyard probably had a profession of faith. They probably prayed the prayer, and then they died. Their body was laid in the grave, but their soul went straight to hell. And in hell, they lift up their eyes, being in torment, and they cried out, I thought I was saved. I prayed that prayer. I always believed in Jesus. I went to church all my life. My daddy was a pastor. Maybe their mama was a pastor. You never know. But they had all these religious trappings and all these things that they had affixed to their life to comfort them about their eternal state. But at the end, when they died, they went to hell because they were not obedient to the gospel. There are three basic demands of the gospel. The gospel demands that we repent. The gospel demands that we believe. And the gospel demands that we receive. And we're going to look at those real quick. I can't hardly preach sitting down. Have mercy on me and help me. Help me preach. Just pray for me today. Matthew 4. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4 and let's establish the need for repentance. In our day and age, many people preach against repentance. And when they do so, they preach against the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. You can just stay right there, but I've got to stand up. <coughs> Matthew four seventeen. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Edward, grab me some water, please, and just bring it right around here. It's up front. Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you want to rest that camera down low, that's fine. Just shoot it right up my nose. I'm ugly enough anyway. It doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's about the Word. We wouldn't be videoing this anyway if we had all of our systems set up. And we're looking forward to the day we can get our studio set back up and be able to record without having to video all the time. So Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. Now John the Baptist had preached that in chapter 3 in verse 2. John had come saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Just put it right there. <coughs> Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now in Mark 6 and verse 12, Jesus sent out the disciples. And it's interesting to see what he told them to preach. So let's go there real quick. Mark 6. Now, before you get your panties in a wad over repentance, I just want to say to you, you probably have not got a biblical definition of repentance. If you don't believe in repentance, you don't believe what the Bible says. But if you think repentance is changing your actions and reforming and doing works to make you good enough for God to save you, you've got a different repentance than the Bible. And if you think that repentance is just saying, Oh God, I'm sorry for my sin. 
and that's all there is to it. You've got a different repentance from the Bible. Those are both extremes, and the, and the truth is in the middle. And we're going to look at that here in just a minute, so hold on. Mark chapter 6 and verse 12. Lord, help me not to get in the flesh. And they went out and preached that men should repent. Jesus sent them out to preach that men should repent. Now, Acts 2.38, you say, well, that was the kingdom age. That was before Jesus died. So let's keep going through the Bible. Um, let's go to the book of Acts. It's hard enough to preach without a pulpit. It's harder still to preach in the wind, so bear with me. I appreciate the breeze, but it's tough to find your place and not have it blow all over. Acts chapter 2, Peter at the day of Pentecost. The old rough fisherman, the old cussing fisherman, God poured out his spirit on him and he cussed no more. He had a major change of life. And here he is preaching the gospel on the day of Pentecost. It says in Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I think we've preached on baptism before, haven't we? We've preached on baptism. You can go back and look at it. If you want to take this verse all by itself and make baptismal regeneration, you have your false doctrine, your heresy, run with it all you want, take yourself and your family and your church and everybody you know straight to hell if that's the way you're going to go. Peter was not preaching baptismal regeneration. I'm not dealing with that right now, but that's all through the Bible. You look up everywhere it says baptized, baptized, um, baptizing. Look up all the words about baptism. Read them. Read the words about belief. Read what God says. In short, baptism is what you do as an outward manifestation of what you believe God has done on the inside. And we've preached on that before. And you'll see here that these men already believed what Peter said. For they were pricked in their heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And just to throw this in for some of you, because this has got to be said when you read this verse, and you just got to remember, if you look at the rest of the scriptures that deal with salvation, you will never find another verse that directly links, even appears to directly link baptism to salvation. So the context gives you understanding. The Bible has a principle in the mouth of every two or three witnesses, let every word be established. If you don't have two or three witnesses, if you can't look at the whole counsel of God and see that your doctrine holds water everywhere it's preached, then you need to back up and punt. And you need to give the other team the ball for a minute and get back to study until you get a chance to take it back and go for the end zone. Because you've missed true doctrine and you've missed the gospel. And that's what's happened if you're Church of Christ and believe that you got to get dunked to get saved. You've missed it. You've absolutely missed it. I love you. I want the best for you. And I want you to get saved by faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing minus nothing, not plus baptism. Jesus Christ alone and faith in Christ can save now, if you get saved, you will get baptized. But if you get saved and you, like the thief on the cross, and die, you're not going to hell if you got saved. Now, we're moving right on from that. I have no intention to preach on that. I didn't study it out. I've already preached on it. We'll touch it again when we get to it at other times. So here, Peter preached repentance at Pentecost. John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. Jesus sent his disciples preaching repentance. And now we've got Peter preaching repentance at Pentecost. You say, oh, well, that was to the Jew. Let me just get my next text here. Um, Acts chapter 11. We'll keep moving through the Bible. Acts chapter 11. And verse 18. 
here's Peter talking to a bunch of Gentiles. And this is when God saved all those Gentiles at Cornelius' house. Listen up, pay attention. This is for you too today. You pay attention. We do Bible time whether we can record or not. <coughs> Although sometimes we do miss it, I have to be honest. Um, Acts 11 <coughs> and 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So here the Jews had seen what God did for the Gentiles, and those believing Gentiles had received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and they said, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. I'm telling you, this gospel is a gospel of repentance. Acts 17 and verse 30. You say, well, that was that was just at the beginning there of the Gentile church. Some people don't believe the Bible passed um, before Acts chapter 8. But here in Acts in chapter 17 and verse 30, it says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That's the Apostle Paul out on Mars Hill on the Acropolis, and he's up there preaching the gospel to a bunch of heathens, and he says, God hath commanded all men everywhere to repent. That's a command. That requires obedience. It's not optional. It's not something to do if you want a better Christian experience. It is the way to salvation. Without repentance, you cannot be saved. Without repentance, you did not get saved. You say, well, I've always been a Christian. I've always believed in Jesus. I went to church all my life. I got confirmed in the Lutheran church. I got baptized in the Baptist church. I went over to this church and did that. I took the Mass over here. I took the sacraments in the Episcopal church. I've done all these things all my life. Have you ever repented of the fact that you are a sinner, that you have offended a holy, righteous God, and you deserve to go to hell for eternity and turn from your sin. We're going to talk about what repentance is more here in just a second. Have you ever repented of your sin and turned from it to Jesus Christ? If you have not, you have not been saved. And you can say, oh God, I'm sorry for my sin. And now I lay me down my, to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I know I lied today, but Lord, if I die before I wake, I pray that my soul, that my soul you take. Take it on to heaven. I know I lie. I know I cheat. I know I steal. I know I commit adultery, but, but I believe in you, Lord. So I think I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I'm telling you, friend, it's not good enough. You're going to bust hell wide open with your belief because you have not obeyed the gospel and your belief is another belief. We can, we'll get into belief here in just a second. Repentance now. Uh, let's, let's go on and look at a couple more verses first. Acts 20 and verse 21. Acts 20 and verse 21. Paul speaking here says that what he did, his whole ministry, Paul's whole ministry to the Gentiles that he would testify both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's whole ministry was built on repentance. We've got all, as one pastor down there in Mobile says, we've got all these vanilla churches out here that have got no flavor whatsoever. We've got all, we've got the chocolate churches, we've got the uh, Rocky Road churches, we've got the sherbet churches we've got all these different flavors of ice cream churches out here that are just sweetening people's road to hell and they've got all their things they want you to do then we've got our vanilla no flavor at all they don't have any denomination so that you can't peg them because they don't say nothing they don't mean nothing they don't do nothing i know those are double negatives but that's how hillbillies talk 
so you get over it. But they don't do anything. They don't believe anything. They don't even believe the Bible. Any Bible goes. They'll have the preacher will preach. He'll pick up some motivational book. And he'll have more that he'll say out of a book than he'll say out of the Bible. And the Bible he does use isn't a real Bible. It's been jimmied. It's been copyrighted. It's been chopped up. It's been edited. He don't even touch the old King James Authorized Version Bible. Have you ever noticed these, all these self-help people, all these big mega churches on it? They won't touch a King James Bible. That ought to tell you something. That ought to tell you something. What are they afraid of? This book has power. Theirs doesn't. They don't want power. They want a show. They want a circus. They want a dog and pony show. They want to put Starbucks in their foyer and get you to go and buy coffee and go to the bookstore and buy Joyce Myers and Joel Olstein and all this junk, all this rot, and then go to hell in a handbasket while you're coming and tithing at their church. They don't preach repentance. They, cheat. they preach a cheap belief. Most of them easy believism or some kind of church work where you get baptized or confirmed or some guy in a big robe dresses up and mumbles words in another language and you get some kind of holy feeling inside. So you think you're going to go to heaven when you die. But friend, I'm telling you, you must repent and believe the gospel or you'll go to hell. I don't know how many of these people out here. All right, you watch that. I don't know how many of our people out these people out here get out of that front seat right now. I don't know how many of these people out here in these graves whose bodies lay in this grave went to hell sitting in a church pew. But I'll guarantee you it happened. Now, repentance, before we move on there, repentance was preached by Jesus Christ. He told us in the Great Commission to preach repentance. He told us to preach repentance in the Great Commission. And I forgot to write down that reference. But he said there that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name in all the world. Try and find it real quick if you'll have patience on me. Luke chapter 24 and verse 46. Uh, verse 45, Jesus opened their understanding. Jesus then in 46 told them this wasn't an accident. Jesus died, was buried, rose again on the third day. Verse 47, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning, nations beginning at Jerusalem. If you're a preacher and you don't preach repentance, you're not preaching for Jesus. He didn't call you. He didn't send you. You're not his servant. You're not his preacher. You're a false prophet. And you're sending people to hell if you don't preach repentance. Now there's a false repentance and there's a true repentance. <coughs> true repentance, John the Baptist talked about, was, <coughs> was accompanied by works. Thank you. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. But repentance is not working to change. Repentance is a heart change that results in a life change. Repentance starts by understanding God's perspective. Until you know what God says about sin, about death, about hell, until you know these things, you cannot truly repent. You need to understand that God hates sin. Sin is an abomination to God. And when your perspective begins to align with God's perspective, then you can repent. Have you ever lied? The Bible says that the children of disobedience lie. And in Revelation it says all liars have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. All liars have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. 
Lying is a serious offense to God. The Bible says, Thou shalt not kill. Jesus said, You have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause is in danger of the of the council. And whosoever shall say to his or of the judgment, whosoever shall say to his brother Rock is in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say thou fool is in danger of hell fire. You ever called anybody a fool? You ever called them an idiot, which is the equivalent of Raka? You ever call people names? You're in danger, my friend. <coughs> Jesus said, you shall not commit adultery. You've heard that there in Matthew 5. But I say unto you that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already with her in your heart. If you have sinned, if you've broken God's law in one point, James says in chapter 2, verse 10, you're guilty of all. Read the Bible. <coughs> you say... Well, I'm not really sure I'm saved. Well, that you probably need to work on your repentance. You need to read the Bible. You need to see what God says about sin. You need to get your heart aligned with God. Repentance is aligning my heart with God's heart, like a compass needle pointing north. That requires taking the Word of God, reading it, listening to it, hearing it, heeding it, and saying, Okay, God, according to your Word, I've lied. And yeah, it was a little white lie, but you're holy and just and pure. And that brings me under condemnation for lying. God, you said thou shalt not steal. I've stolen. I've never robbed a bank, but I've stolen from my mom. I've done these little bitty, bitty sins. All these little bitty sins. You start aligning yourself with God's word and saying, these little bitty sins are soul damning sins. These little bitty sins are eternity and have, have me lined up for an eternity of hellfire. And I can't do any good to replace my sins. I can't overcome my sin. Because the Bible says all my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. To my Catholic friends, did you know that the Bible says the prayer of a wicked man is an abomination to God? If you have sin that you have ever committed that has not been dealt with biblically, then your prayers are an abomination to God. You go and you count your beads and you get on your knees and you say your prayers and you're actually sinning. Your prayers that you pray to try and be more holy, to try and gain favor with God, apart from the biblical blood of Jesus Christ, those prayers are an abomination to God. And they actually stack up as sin against you, as weight against you on your account. I'm not going to get into all of that tonight. We could, today, we could go on and on. The Bible's full of it. There's over 600 laws in this Bible. I've broken every one I know anything about. If I haven't broken it physically, I've broken it with my heart. God says every idle thought, every idle word, we will give an account for it. Judgment. Think about that for a minute. Think about that today, my family. Listen to me. Every idle thought or every idle word that you speak, you will give an account for at the day of judgment. That time you just kind of chuckled and told that dirty little joke, that time you did that, you're going to give an account for that at the day of judgment. Edward, help him get out of that front seat, back to the back. You will give an account for every idle, every idle word. The Bible says that God judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He looks at our motives. He looks at our thoughts. And when you begin to see yourself as a sinner, then you can begin to go down the road of repentance. But it is until you understand that you have offended a holy and a righteous God, and you have absolutely no way to please Him apart from a substitute coming in and paying the price for your sin, that you, will, you cannot even begin to repent until you understand your sin before a holy God at least to a degree. Repentance is aligning my heart, my perspective with God's perspective. 
so that now I don't make excuses for my sin. I say, God, if you say it's wrong, it's wrong. If you say it's right, it's right. And if I have done something you call sin, then God, I am a sinner. That is repentance. It's a heart change. And if you truly are repenting, if it's truly from the heart, then it will begin to induce a life change. I wrote down, I'm not sure if I wrote it right here. <coughs> By the way, repentance in the Bible was preached primarily to people who believed the gospel to a degree. They said, yeah, this sounds right. Yes, I need a Savior. Jesus sounds like he's God. I think this is right. And I need to be saved like those men in Acts. They said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent. And if you look at where he preaches repent all through the Bible, he preached repent after he would preach Christ. Almost without, it, without fail. And I only say almost because I didn't do an exhaustive study on it. So we're commanded to repent. That's the first part. Biblical repentance unto salvation holds no sin in special regard, but repudiates, rejects, and resists all sin as called sin by God and recognizes personal inability to protect self from sin, thus preparing the heart for the gospel. So repentance does not give any special consideration to my sin and say, my sin is better than your sin. Well, that man murdered, but I've just looked at lust. That man committed adultery, but I told a white lie. That man cheated on his taxes, or maybe that man stole from a bank, but I just cheated on my taxes. No, repentance recognizes sin is sin and ceases to make excuses for sin and deals honestly with sin before God. That's the embodiment of what repentance is. That's the, that's the whole idea of repentance. And when that happens in the heart, it affects the body. You cannot repent without it affecting your works. But the works are not repentance. They are works meat for repentance. Read your Bible, Matthew 3. John the Baptist told him, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. Prove that you have a repentant heart. Show me that you have a repentant heart. Why? Because if your heart repents, you will run from sin. The Bible says, flee idolatry, flee immorality, flee covetousness. If your heart truly is repentance, you will flee from sin. Repentance is the spiritual equivalent of the physical recoil from the pain of injury. When you get hurt, the recoil, when you reach out your hand and touch that fire and you jerk back, that's what repentance does spiritually in your heart. Repentance is the spiritual equivalent of the physical recoil from pain of injury. And this recoil, the pain of injury, that instills a fear, a care, and a watchfulness in the body, lest it should again be subjected to pain. When you burn your hand and you jerk back, that jerk back spiritually would be repentance. But not only do you jerk back, you nurse the wound and you try and take care of that wound. And that would be equivalent spiritually to repentance. You jerk back from the sin. You say, ah, that's sin. And then you care for that. I need to, I need to stay away from that. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to treasure that. You don't sit there thinking about the dirty pictures. See, here's our easy believism. A man goes and looks at porn, and then he shows up at church and goes, oh, God, I'm sorry I looked at porn. And the whole time, he's thinking about it in the back of his head and waiting for his next chance to go look at dirty pictures. Not repentance. He recoils, draws back from it, cares over it. Ouch, that was a wound. I need freedom. I need protection. And then he puts safeguards in his life 
to keep him from having that pain again. Now you do that over a flame, over a fire. Repentance will do that in your heart over sin. And if that has not happened, you never got saved. The Bible commands you to repent. The gospel demands repentance. Does that mean you'll never burn your finger again if you take care, if you recoil, if you have watchfulness, if you set up safeguards? No, stuff happens. And just in the same way, a Christian that repents may still sin again. And God has made a way through Jesus Christ for continual forgiveness of sins. But there will be a reaction, a recoil, a care, and a safeguarding that happens when you repent of that sin as a Christian. This is biblical repentance, and this is missing from our churches. It's missing from our gospel. And because of that, we have people all over that are dying and going to hell. Now, the second demand of the gospel is to believe, and to look at that, we'll go to the book of John. Listen up over there. Pay close attention. I wouldn't have brought you all along for this if I didn't want you to listen. You hear me? Because you honk horns and make noise and do all kinds of stuff, and we have to work through all that. I want you to listen to me. This is for you today. As much as anybody else. In a way, a whole lot more. Because you're my children. I want you to listen. If nobody else but my family ever gets this, it's worth it to preach it. So the belief. We're going to go to John 1 and verse 12. But as many as received him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now we're going to get into that um, receiving here in just a minute. But I want you to notice that it's tied, coupled directly to believing. Go to John chapter 3. The Bible is so full of verses that deal with belief, I can't possibly get them all. But I just grabbed a few highlights. Let's go to John 3 verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is right before the famous John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Two times back to back. God puts the condition of eternal life upon believing. It's not upon repentance. It's upon believing. But you cannot believe God the way God demands that you believe Him without repentance. The two go together. It's almost impossible to separate them. When you believe God this much, you'll repent this much, and then you'll believe this much and repent this much. You cannot believe without repentance, and you can't repent without belief. And if you repent and believe, you will receive. These are all tied together. But So you say, why are we even messing with this today? Because you've been taught belief all your life. This whole nation has been taught belief apart from repentance, and it's a lie. It's a false belief. That's like, I believe in Santa Claus. I believe in fairies. I believe in pixie dust. I believe I'll eat a sandwich. I believe I'll go to the store. I believe it might rain. I believe that weatherman has a good point. I believe the preacher has a good point over there. But it's not a heart belief that induces a changed life and that makes a person a follower of Jesus Christ, which is required by God. It's demanded by God that you receive Christ to be saved. How do you receive Christ? Well, that's a mystery, isn't it? You ever wondered, how do you receive Christ? I've wondered it when I've heard people say it. They say, ask, repent, believe, receive, or something like that. I'm sorry if I messed it up. Everybody's got their different orders they put it in. And they say, you just got to receive. Well, how do you receive Christ? Okay, God. Here I am. Oh, we're going to deal with that in just a minute. What does it mean to receive Christ? What is it to receive Christ? <coughs> 
you need to know. John chapter 3. <coughs> um, and we'll be back at this a little bit to receive, possibly. John chapter 3 talks about believing to not perish and have eternal life. In verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. So do you see how that Jesus Christ laid the bare minimum, the irreducible minimum for the gospel for salvation, it all rests upon belief. He says, He that believeth on the Son of God, he that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. No mention of baptism. No mention of communion. It's on belief. Believe. He that believeth not is condemned. He that believeth is not condemned. And he goes on down and he gives us many more verses about belief. We're going to, and speaks about it in detail. Study John chapter 3 carefully. If your soul, your soul and eternity is at stake. Study John chapter 3 in the authorized version Bible. It says here in verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. In John chapter 4, the woman at the well of Samaria, that Samaria, the woman at the well, spake to him and said, We know that Messiah, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Messiah, who is called Christ, points back to all the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ. How that he would be Jehovah God, the Almighty, the Everlasting Father. Read Isaiah 9, 6. And he would be born as a child. He would die and he would be buried and he would be raised again for our salvation. And he says, and Jesus, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. People say Jesus didn't claim to be God. There he did. And he did over and over and over again. If you don't understand what the word Christ means, you might think that. But if you understand that Jesus claimed to be Christ... And you understand the Old Testament prophecies. You cannot ignore the fact that Jesus Christ is God Almighty. God in the flesh. God the Father, God the Word, and God the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. 1 John 5, 7. And the Son of God became a man. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And he died on the cross for our sins. And he was buried and he rose again the third day. Now, here in John chapter 4, it says... Jesus said unto her, I didn't speak unto the He. And it doesn't tell us what the woman did. She didn't get baptized, take communion, join the church. She didn't get confirmed. It says instead, verse 28, she left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Her actions speak louder than words, and her actions spoke volumes. She believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And because she believed, she repented. And it was all tied in together. And her repentance led her to go out and share with other people that she met the Christ. The Bible says that these men came. In verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe. Not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior, capital S, of the world. And if you know your Old Testament very well, you know that Jehovah God claimed to be the Savior and said there was none else. 
Jehovah God is the Savior. They believed in Jesus Christ, that He was God, that He was the Messiah that came to take away their sins. And because of that belief, they were saved. And it goes on and on and on and on. Belief is not a worked up feeling. This isn't an emotion that you work up. It's not an emotion, it's some experience, some encounter that you have. You don't clench your fists and shut your eyes, grit your teeth and hold your breath and, and visualize it until you think that it's reality in spite of fact. It's not Christian Scientology where you sit around and say, what I visualize is reality, therefore it's reality because I visualize it. I think, therefore I am. Sorry, it's not it. You don't meditate and empty your mind and wait for something external to fill your head and your heart with warmth and these feelings and strange upliftings. That's not what belief is. You don't get the band together and turn down the lights, play music, um, blow the fog out across the stage, whisper into the mic, get breathy tones and intimate till my senses tingle and I get some kind of euphoric thrills sweeping up and down my backbone. Oh, oh, and that's not belief. That's not what it's about. It's not a worked up feeling. Believing is listening to the word of God and obeying the word of God. Jesus said, blessed are they that hear and keep my commandments. Hear and keep my commandments. Listen to me today carefully. Blessed are they that hear and keep my commandments. Belief is listening to and obeying the word of God. That's what it is. You say, it's got to, there's got to be something more than that. There's got to be angels and lights. There's got to be tingling feelings. There's got to be... No, it's not. Believing is listening to and obeying the Word of God. Accepting it as fact. Believing is not a worked up mindset where you read the church fathers and his church history. You get out your books and commentaries, study archaeological digs and evidence, and look at scientific confirmation till you get an excited buzz in your head about all these facts and figures that validate biblical accounts, and now you can trust the Bible. That's not believing. Believing is not reading and memorizing scriptural facts, knowing your Bible cover to cover, and knowing how to argue it, knowing um, having all kinds of Orthodox or even unorthodox systematic theology all lined out, worked out. You can write it down in order. You've got a Westminster Confession statement of faith. You've got all these things, all this stuff, and you can reason with the best of the scholars. You can go down to the seminary and argue about this guy and that guy and Molina and Calvin and Knox and, and Zwingli. And you can talk about Luther and you can talk about uh, Pope Innocent. And you can talk about the Council of Trent. And you can tell all these facts and figures about the, that you've learned up here in your head until your head buzzes with information that's not believing. You can do Hebrew and Greek studies. Get the etymology and the root words. You can get the mastery of tenses and the grammatical senses. You can go and go until you can tell God what He meant, what He meant to say, and how He should have said it. That's not believing. Believing is listening to and obeying the Word of God. Taking the Word of God at face value as fact is believing God. You know, this makes people mad. They want to do everything but this. They want to do everything but this. Just take God at His Word. Believe what He said. And obey it. That's faith. The Bible, uh, or not, not going back to the scripture verses. Yeah, I want to look at one more thing uh, before we move on. This is not a worked up will either. 
your will that marches on blindly with nothing but the fog of religion. You go to church and some guy mumbles in another language. There's incense, there's idols, there's all these sacrifices going on. There's fake cannibalism and everything else going on. Hopefully you know what I'm talking about there. Or you go to some church where they don't even use a Bible anymore, but you just march blindly on. You keep the traditions your fathers passed down. If your elders tell you that you got to drive a buggy, you'll drive a buggy. And you'll just do it to stay in the church, and if you don't, they'll kick you out. I'm telling you, this is not believing God. It has nothing to do with salvation. And would you just march blindly on? You don't know what the Bible says because you won't even look into it. You're scared of the book. Your belief in God, your so-called faith in God, is based on a worked-up will, where you have this iron will that you are going to carry forward the religion of your fathers, the religion of your mothers, do or die, come hell or high water, and it's going to be hell, because you don't believe the Bible. Believing God is reading, heeding the Word of God. This isn't, believing God is not suppressing your questions. Listen to me, carefully, please. Believing God doesn't mean suppressing your questions and doubts and just pushing them down and saying, I'm not going to think about that. Why did God kill all those innocent people? Oh, I'm not going to think about that. Why did God have all the babies and the women and children put to death? I'm not going to think about that. Why did God allow slavery? I'm I'm not going to think about that. I'm just going to go to church and sing, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to read. That's not believing God. There's nothing to do with believing God. We're not talking about blind faith. God does not want you to have blind faith. God wants you to to look at the evidence. And He's given you the evidence in the Word of God. He doesn't want you to suppress all your fears and your doubts by sheer force of will and conform yourself to a traditional reasoning that is unfounded in Scripture. God doesn't want you to do that. And He'll send you to hell for it. Unless you repent and believe the Gospel. You need to remember to turn notifications off on that whenever we're doing this. Forgive us, I ask you, on the live stream and on the recording for those extra noises. Now, this is God does not want you to press on by sheer force of will in your unbiblical beliefs that are based on tradition with no foundation in Scripture. Those kinds of things take people to hell. Belief in God means taking the Word of God at face value, reading it, and obeying it. That's it. You say there's got to be more to that. No, there's not. And you see all these gravestones out here? The people that believed God took His Word at face value and obeyed it. They're in heaven today. The people of every stripe and background, I'm surrounded by gravestones. Maybe we'll take a walk as we wrap up just so you can see some more of them. But maybe the people here that went to church all their lives and they served God and they gave their money and their tithes and their offerings and did mighty works in His name, They did vacation Bible schools. They taught Sunday school. They were altar boys. They served in the church. They did everything they could do to please God. But they never got in the Word of God and believed the gospel according to the Word of God, repented of their sins, and turned to Jesus Christ. They're burning in hell today. Right next to the murderers. Right next to the child rapers. Right next to the worst people you can imagine. The the Christian people, quote-unquote Christian people, that are laying in these graves, their bodies are laying here, but they did not submit themselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ are burning in hell today. They're burning in hell. You say, that's too harsh. I can't believe that. Then you're going there with them. And when you get there, you'll believe it. And it'll be too late. 
Because once you die, you can't change your destiny. Once you die, it's over. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. You go on thinking what you want to think. You go on entitled to your opinion. You go on just as long as you want. You just go on and ignore the book of God. Ignore the word of God. Say there's mistakes in it all you want until you're blue in the face. Tell me there's contradictions. There's not a one. But you go on and believe that if you want. You'll go straight to hell. You'll die in your sins and you'll burn for eternity. Because without believing the word of God, you cannot be saved. Now finally here we have the, the receiving of Jesus Christ. This deals with transformation. This is part of the gospel. To them that believed Him, to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 12. We already looked at that today. So we're going to look at what it means to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to stop off at John 3 real quick. John um, Nicodemus Jesus addressed this directly with Nicodemus because Nicodemus was very religious. And I'm in a religious town here, by the way. Probably nearly everybody in this graveyard, probably the vast majority, over 90% of these people, maybe even more of them, of the um, possibly couple thousand people in just this particular graveyard, probably over 90% of them had a hope for heaven. It's very unlikely that 90% of them are in heaven. Most of them had religion. But I wonder, did they have Christ? I wonder for you today, do you have Christ or do you have religion? Here was a man who had religion and Jesus answered and said unto him, he said, he said, Rabbi, to Jesus, he respected Christ. He said, we know that thou art a teacher from, come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He believed that Jesus was a teacher come from God. He believed in Jesus in a sense. He believed in Jesus' miracles. He, he respected Christ. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now the context is clear. Nicodemus had just asked about the mother's womb. So here he said, can a man, Jesus said a man must be born of water and of the Spirit. The water being of the mother's womb. We know it's amniotic fluid, but for millennia it's been referred to as water. And Jesus said you must be born of your mother's womb, of the water and of the Spirit. And that's the context. You can argue, you theologians and scholars, you can just go to town arguing on it. I'm going to believe the Bible. The Bible defines itself. And right there in the context, Jesus told us what he's talking about. He's going to tell us again. The next verse says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So there again, Jesus confirms with a second witness that when he said you must be born of water, he was speaking, you might be born of your mother. You say, well, what about a, a baby in the mother's womb? It's in the water. You say, do, do babies go to heaven when they die? Maybe someday we'll touch that. Maybe someday we'll look at that. Not today. We're, moving, we're dealing with you right now. And you've been born and lived long enough to be able to click a button or sit in front of a screen and look at it. So we don't need to worry about all that. If you're sitting here today, you need to worry about your soul. You need to ask the question, if I die today, where am I going to go? If, that's, if my gravestone is set up in a cemetery tomorrow and I'm in the, my body's in the dirt, where will my soul spend eternity? Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is, the, is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. 
the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So Jesus said, the wind blows. You can't see it. You can't see where it's coming from or where it's going. Just like this. Of course, the breeze is going to die down now. I've been trying to hold my papers the whole time. You've been watching my papers flutter in the wind, but you didn't see the wind. But you saw the effect of the wind. Jesus is saying, a man that is born of the Spirit will have the effect of the Spirit in his life. He'll have a changed life that is powered by the Spirit, that is driven by the Spirit, that is shown by the Spirit. And I don't want to get off on all that heresy about like the purpose-driven garbage and all that kind of thing. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. But the power of the Christian life, the power that turned those pages, the wind must be the Spirit of God. Now, Jesus said, Ask and ye shall receive. You say, how do I receive? You receive by asking. There is some definite validity in praying and asking God to save you. He says, there in Acts 2, 38, he, said, he told them that they, Peter told them, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you're truly saved, the Holy Spirit of God moves in. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit seals us unto the day of redemption. If any man have not the Spirit of God, he has none of his. If you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, you're not saved. And you know the Spirit is living in you by the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, and goodness, temperance. I always get that all confused. Galatians chapter 5. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to speak in tongues to be saved. Nowhere. People that say that don't know the gospel. They're not saved themselves. They, they're not saved themselves if they're running around preaching that doctrine if God doesn't bust them. He may let them go in error for a little while, but he'll, he'll fix them. He'll get them straightened up. And if they can keep on preaching that trash, then they're not saved. But here he says in John 20 that he breathed on his disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. In John 14, he said that he would come unto them. I will send you a comforter, he said. And 1 John 5, 7 says that there are three, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And he says there in John 14... We will come unto you and make our abode with you. So the new birth that God is talking about here is whenever God the Holy Ghost moves into a believer and takes up residence in his life. He says here, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, there's that belief, the works that I do, and that's due to repentance, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. But where's the power to do these works? You do the works because you repented, because you believe. He says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit, capital S there, whom the world cannot receive, that's the Holy Ghost, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. The disciples were being influenced by the Holy Ghost. So there's a lot of people out here that are like the disciples. They have some measure of belief in God. They've been influenced by the Holy Ghost. He's with them. He's convicting them. He's convincing them. He's actively working in their lives. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you say, well, I know I believe in God because, because of all the times that, that God has directed my life. But you never repented and believed the gospel. 
You don't have the fruit of the Spirit within you and you don't have power to keep His commandments in your life at all. Maybe the Spirit's with you but not in you. Did you ever consider that? The disciples were in such a condition. They were not yet converted. He said, He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So the obvious question is, how will he manifest himself to him? And guess what? Judas here, not Iscariot, um, is going to answer that, ask that question for us. Verse 22, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Now remember the wind. Bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. That wind manifests itself without sight. And this is what how Jesus is going to answer. The world doesn't see the wind, but the world sees the effect of the wind. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being pre yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Receiving Christ is whenever a man in repentance for his sins believes the gospel and is saved. And when he's saved, when he is born again, the Spirit of God moves in and begins to do work in that man's heart. Alter the way that that man thinks. Alter the way that that man acts. Now, he may not be perfect, but he tries. And his trying isn't a constant failing. He isn't living in open sin. He's living in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repentance brings this change. Repentance and belief. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot live a Christian life. Not in the way that God says to. You can put on a show. You can go and sway and do the smoke and fog. You can do all these things, but you will not have power to follow Jesus and be obedient to the commands of Christ. Your Christianity will be a shallow surface Christianity. You might know the terms. You might have your doctrine all lined out and have your systematic theology. But until you've received the Lord Jesus Christ, until you've been born again, your eternal fate is still at risk. You are still in danger of stepping over the brink of eternity and ending in the lake of fire. You don't need to speak in tongues to prove that you've received the Holy Ghost. All that you need is to repent and believe the gospel. And in doing that, in the act of repenting and in the, in the heart of believing, God Almighty will not leave you comfortless. He promised it. How do you receive it? The Bible says, ask and you, receive, you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Repenting is the saving reaction to the revelation of my sinfulness. Believing is the saving uh, resting in Christ's finished work on the cross. His death, His burial, His resurrection. And receiving Christ is the saving resurrecting of the dead spirit. The act of being born again by the power of God. All of these are part of true biblical salvation. If anyone is lacking, whatever else you have is revealed to be fake 
and phony and a fraud by the lack of one of the other three. You can have two and not one, and it proves the two you've got are fake. Now, we started all this by talking about children of disobedience. The gospel demands that you believe, it demands that you repent, and it demands that you receive. Is this you today, or are you a child of disobedience? The remedy is in John chapter 20. It says, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. 1 John 5.13 says, These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. It is God's will for you to know. It is God's will for you to repent, to believe, to receive Jesus Christ as the Holy Ghost. He said, I and the Father will come unto you and make our abode with you. People talk about the Holy Ghost as if He's some kind of weird being. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And if you have the Holy Ghost, all three are living within you. Because you can't have one without the other two. And the same is true of salvation. What we talked about today. Repenting, believing, and receiving. Are you a child of disobedience? You can tell by your fruit. You can tell by your fruit. I'm going to turn over to Colossians as we wrap up here. I'm going to turn over here to Colossians chapter 3. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Let's get up and take a little walk down this way. He says here fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You stay ahead for respecting the names of these people. I don't want to put the names up. So fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Take a look at these gravestones in the background as we walk here. And think today about your eternal fate. If you died today, where would you go? Is your life um, a is your life um, known by fornication, by wicked immorality, by uncleanness? Is your life understood by everyone around you by inordinate affection? Do you live by evil concupiscence and covetousness? And again, we have all that on a previous podcast. You can study out what the Bible means with us. It says, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Are you full of anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication? Are you a liar? Do you lie all the time? Chances are, if that's your condition, if you are living in these constant sins, if you have no power over sin, the odds are absolutely against you for heaven. By default, we're children of wrath, the Bible says. By default, you're on your way to hell. Don't you, don't you take a chance and play games with your eternity. You say, well, I think I'm saved because I prayed that prayer that one time, but my life has, has no reflection of Christ in it. Then, friend, don't lie to yourself. Why, why take a chance with your eternity, eternal destiny? Repent and believe the gospel and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And until you have the evidence of the new life within you, of the Holy Spirit of God conforming you into the image of Christ, don't give up. Recoil from that sin. Flee from that sin. Turn from your sin. Flee from the wrath to come and run to Jesus. Someday this will be us. We're not, we don't have long to live. If we live 80 years from now, everybody that even ever listens to this podcast, it won't be very long. Everybody that's here today, if you live 80 years, 100 years, it won't be very long. But eternity is forever. Don't play games with your soul. Come to Jesus Christ through the Word of God biblically. And if you're not sure about your sin, read the Bible. If you're not sure about the Savior, get an old authorized version Bible. Get your face in it and don't get out. 
Turn off the TV. Turn off the radio. Get up. Get turn off podcasts. I hope this one helped you. Shut off the internet and get a Bible out and get on your face and seek the Lord while he may be found. Today is the day of salvation. Call upon him while he is near. Don't let anything keep you from eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. Don't let anything take you to hell. Not your religion, not your religious background, not your good works, and not your sins. Flee from the wrath to come. I thank you for your time today. And I pray that God will use this to turn souls from the eternal lake of fire and and get them to where their names written in the Lamb's book of life and they can walk on those streets of gold and have no pain, no misery, no sorrow, no suffering. Eternal life with Jesus Christ. That's the promise that awaits true Christians. Thank you for your time.